Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shake needs to be in perfect the premiers of 1992 the 1994 premiers premiers the 2018 AFL premiership team the west coast eagles good day everyone welcome to the big footy eagles podcast west coast's 2020 season is over after a heartbreaking one point defeat in the Appointments, and of course, where to from here for the West Coast Eagles. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me on this week's show is Mr. KK. How are you going, KK? Yeah, we're right. It's a shame to be doing this a bit earlier in the season than, than we'd hoped, um, being the final podcast, but it is what it is. Um, you get what you deserve in the end, and, and we just weren't good enough for long enough across the season. Yeah, there's plenty to unpack in the Collingwood game, which we unfortunately will do in just a moment, but also throughout the season, and that's, I think, going to be the bulk of the pod, sort of towards the back end, we're going to be talking about all things 2020 and, and how we fix some issues. And, you know, there were some positives in there. It was a good season in a lot of ways, but just didn't come through in the end. Um, as you touched on there, yeah, look, it's going to be our final week-to-week podcast at the moment. Obviously, the off-season starts now. We will endeavour to do the usual draft preview, uh, draft recap, free agency, trade period, etc. There's some AFLW news and the season on the horizon there, so we'll get stuck into that later on as well. But in terms of week-to-week content, this is sort of the marker of the end of this season, I suppose, for us, KK. It's been a fun season on the pod, and thanks very much to everybody who's listened. KK, I hope you've enjoyed being on the pod as well, but I'm going to uh, move things on to a bit of a sour note now because we do have to, unfortunately, get stuck into the Collingwood game. West Coast Eagles, 11 goals, 9-75, were defeated by Collingwood, 12 goals, 4-76. It's a one-point defeat in an elimination final at home, about as brutal as it can get, KK. And ultimately, look, in an elimination final, you don't care how it looks or how it gets done. It's all about the result, and the result did not go our way last week. Yeah, it's been a, a shit of a year for so many reasons, and that was probably just the uh, appropriate way to finish it off, wasn't it? Just a... A heartbreaking loss, I think. I kind of actually, it might sound a bit bitter, but I thought we were the better team on the night. As bad as we played and as bad as our midfield looked from time to time, I thought we generally had the better of the play and just didn't get it done. It was a game of small margins. We missed our chances. They they took the vast majority of theirs. They really couldn't have kicked more arsey goals if they tried. We got bent over by the, the umpires all night. Um, don't need to go on too much about that. And it was just, yeah, a really, really crap way to end the season. And, of course, to top it all off, if you weren't didn't have the pleasure of going to the game, you had to listen to the um, Motley crew of they, – they pretty much handpicked a commentary team just to piss off West Coast fans in that game. <laughs> if you had the displeasure of having to listen to the TV, and you would have uh, – I think we had Darcy, Richo, and Cameron Ling in, in oh, one telecast. Oh, God, that is dreadful. Yeah, it, it was as bad as, as you can imagine, um, especially when you get uh, Cox kicking three goals in a quarter and yeah, then Dugowie dobs two goals out of his ass and um, got owned by Shepard for the rest of the night. You won't hear about that. And, yeah, I kind of just want to put a bow on that and move on, really. 
Yeah, well, in terms of uh, viewing experiences or listening experiences, whatever it was, now I was lucky enough to be at the game and it was intense, it was insane, it was really, really loud at stages, the crowd was great, obviously the result was disappointing. Location-wise, KK, I was sitting, I would say, mm, six metres from the Collingwood bench, pretty much smack bang in the middle between the Collingwood bench and the Collingwood race. So I got to see the bench celebrations. I got to see Buckley storming out of the race at the end, giving it the big ones to everybody. Now, I, I tell you what, I actually don't mind Collingwood. For all the crap that gets said about them, I think the Eagles-Collingwood rivalry has been very much built on respect rather than sort of hate. You know, there's not really any animosity there. By and large, there's little bits, but not much. I think it's just two good clubs going at it, playing good footy. But uh, on the night, you would have thought that I hated Collingwood because I was going ballistic at them. Uh, some of the some of the guys running up and down, just trying to warm up on the bench. Certainly got a bit of a spray for me, but I guess they were the uh, they had the last laugh in the NKK because, like you said, look, they took their chances, we didn't. Sometimes that's as simple as it is. I was frustrated about the umpiring on the night, same as you, same as plenty of Eagles fans. But Kennedy's got to kick some of the goals that he missed. You know, Archie kicked it out on the full in a one point game. That could have been anything. That could have been the difference. Extra time. Who knows what could have happened there? You know, there's that last passage of play. Tim Kelly brings it inboard. What if he'd chipped it out towards the wing? There's there's these little moments, but it's a one-point game. There's always going to be little moments. Somebody had to lose in heartbreaking fashion. Is there any point going through what we liked and what we didn't like? I mean, I will, I'll say, I love Liam Ryan. He's really good. I really liked when he gave it to Braden Maynard. He, he smashed him again. Then he gave him the, you know, he showed the ball off to him. That was pretty special. But beyond that, like, what is there to unpack in this game? It's done. We're, we're, we're done. The season's over. Yeah, it was a bit like a microcosm of the season, wasn't it, that Ryan was fantastic, as he has been all year. Shepard was great. Nat Nui was great. And, and the midfield largely went missing. I'm not sure the last time Kelly had a possession before he um, turned the ball over on that last passage of play. And um, he, he was a, a real disappointment on, on the night after being our best player in a, a really critical win over St Kilda a few weeks before. He just just wasn't there. Shui was rusty coming back from, from a couple of weeks out and... Yeah, the guys we need to stand up just didn't do it. It's football, unfortunately. Um, it's just the worst time of the year for that that to happen. Now we get to sit and stew or not for a few more months and, and watch other teams um, try and win a flag that we don't. We haven't given ourselves a chance to do that. Look, a lot of the stuff that we would have to say about this game, we're probably going to circle back to in our season-long thoughts because, as you said, the game itself was a very, very good reflection on what the 2020 Eagles were. So... I think we might even park the chat for the Collingwood game specifically. I'll I'll just leave you with this. A few comments from social media, from Big Footy as well, thanks to the people who've been sending those in. Uh, James Russell sent through. He said, we did not show up ready for the game. The boys still played well, but missed some easy chances late. I think Ainsworth will be a good footballer in time. Umpiring is always shit. So thank you very much, James, for sending that one through. Uh, Jake Watson needed some cooler heads during the first quarter rush. Schofield and Jetta play, we win. Now that, KK, is definitely something we'll circle back to with a few contract uh, pieces of news and rumours floating around and a couple of the uh, couple of the guys turning their attention to season 2021. So we'll take a look at that one as well later on down the line. Hudson, 2006, on big footy. Seventh place just doesn't feel right given the great seasons we got out of many key players. But I have to concede that this comp has some very strong sides and we just weren't up with them this year. Looking forward to a stronger campaign in 2021 when Kelly settles in and Duggan and Ryan hit their prime. KK, we might leave the Collingwood chat there. We'll move on to some news. (laughs) 
Starting things off with the news, we've got some AFLW news, and that is that the Eagles 2021 AFLW list has been finalised. Now, the draft took place this week. The Eagles have also made a few little signings uh, today just to round out the list. KK, as I touched on up top, we will have a dedicated AFLW podcast or two uh, in the build-up to their season. Pre-season for them starts in November. The playing season starts in February. But just running through the names, a couple of really promising WA talent being taken in the draft and then a few girls coming across from South Australia today. So Bella Lewis with the number one pick for the Eagles. It was the third pick overall. And then a very, very popular choice on the board with our next pick, Shanae Davison, a really strong forward target. Good athletic mark. There's a clip going around of a hanger that she took. Uh, yeah, doing the rounds on social media as well. So it'll be great to see Shanae. We've got Julie Ann Norrish coming through as well, rebounding defender. Andrea Gilmore, who was on our list last year as an injury replacement, but she wasn't allowed to play due to some crap loophole. So a nice ruck slash forward option there gives the Eagles something to kick towards. So maybe that forward, uh, the forward line starting to look a little bit more developed in the second season. And then, as I said, look, today, two further signings rounds out the 2021 list. North Adelaide pair Amber Ward and Lauren Gorchi, fresh off the SANFLW Premiership, will be joining the Eagles as well. So we'll, uh, we'll pick up that discussion on a few dedicated AFLW pods later on. But KK, some big contract news today with JK, Shannon Hearn, Andrew Gaff for the men's all signing contract extensions into 2021. And in Gaff's case, much beyond. What did you make of that headline? Not too surprising. Uh, it, it's good to have them have them locked away. There were there were question marks about Kennedy and and Hearn at various stages throughout the season. I, I like the fact they're going around again. Um, I probably don't expect them to to be playing um, every game next season. And I think we really need it is going to be their last season for both. I'm certain of that. We really do need to sort of uh, transition them out of the team. But having them there for their their leadership and um, their ability when called on is going to be really important, and and, and Gaff just um, I think he's one of those players that really does seem to improve every season. He was uh, outside of that new he was the only one of our uh, midfield to get a, an All Australian squad spot this year, and and I think we spoke a couple of recent pods about the, the work he did um, with his endurance running in a shortened game and and having to play unfamiliar roles in the middle as well. He's really added a lot a lot to his game in the last few years, and happy to have him locked away. Yeah, you should see out his career with the West Coast Eagles too. JK, I'm not too sure how much there is to unpack. When he's healthy, he's going to play. He still takes the best or one of the best key defenders. And, you know, you maybe aren't expecting him to play 22 games. Let's pretend it goes back to a regular season. You're not expecting him to play 22 games. But I think Kennedy is still in that picking himself every single week stage of his career. You know, health permitting, you might need to rest him here or there. But by and large, Josh Kennedy should feature for the majority of the campaign. Let's talk about Shannon Hearn, though, because under the guise of a full 22-game season, he only needs 14 games to reach 300, which would be an amazing achievement. The first eagle to do so as well. He's not far off Dean Cox's record for the game's record anyway uh, at the minute. But KK, regular season, full-length games, you know, spaced out the same way, so normal amounts of rest, all of that stuff. We've got some guys coming through on that half-back line, those mid, mid-sized defenders there. Do you expect to see Shannon Hearn playing you know, towards that, that top end of, of the number of games possible? Like, If you were fully in control of the number of games, assuming full health and all of that stuff, where do you think he maxes out at next year? Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. With, uh, with full health, I, don't, I, I couldn't say he'd be um, best 22 every week. And we're always, we're always going to be looking with an eye to the future as well. 
having Jetta ridden on presuming Jetta's Jetta might be on the way out. Schofield's obviously retired. There, there's some spots in the back line opening up already. And I think if it's come down to the choice of, of, of Rotham or Hearn next, next season, then projecting how they might trend over another pre-season. I'd like to see sort of Rotham being ahead of Hearn at the start of next season in that uh, that mid-size floating to third defender kind of role. Yeah, I, I think Rotham probably might move past him and I'm, I'm okay with that. So I think it might be line ball for Hearn to get to the 300 games if we've got a full list, but we never do have a full list. It's just one of the uh, the vagaries of, of football. And we had, so we had a fair bit of... Uh, Injury resilience in our back line over the last few years, and if that continues, then he might he might struggle to get there. Just to close off all of the contract news, you touched there. There are rumours going around that Lewis Jetta will not be offered a contract. There's of course chat about list size being reduced, and we don't really have a clear line of sight on that. So it does seem though either way, regular size lists, smaller lists. Lewis Jetta probably has played his last game for the Eagles, which is very disappointing. And we will get back to that uh, on a future pod. You know, once we're talking about all the ins and outs of the off-season. But also, KK, rumours of contract extensions coming up for Jake Waterman, Luke Foley, Xavier O'Neill, and Harry Edwards. And I think these are guys we're all going to talk about later on in the pod, but it does show that you know there's a couple of guys here that have shown a little bit or shown enough for the list managers to go, yep, we'd love to see some of these guys going around again. Any surprises in that list there for you? Probably Foley's a bit of a surprise. I think uh, Waterman's proved himself over the last couple of years that he, he makes a real difference in the team. and I'm happy for his um, hard work to be rewarded. O- O'Neill was the most promising of our youngsters during the year. And Edwards, um, obviously, we only saw a very brief glimpse of him in one game this year, but... He looked good enough, and with Schofield going out, we we are looking a bit light on for tall defenders in the back line. And um, I think yeah, the club's going to be keen to keen to hold on to him if he's if he's shown some promise. Otherwise, we'd be resorting to um, shifting a player like Oscar Allen. We don't probably want to put down there, or we'll be going to the draft. And for that kind of position, you're looking about a, a two or three year lead time before those guys come into the team anyway. So I think those things are pretty straightforward. Foley's a bit of a surprise. Um, so he's come to the end of his second season on the list. He's just had the one game this year, and, yeah, it wasn't too impressive. It's hard to judge based on one game when you, the club sees him every day. But, yeah, having an extension on a contract when we don't know what list sizes are going to be, that that's a bit surprising for me. Time to dive in now to a 2020 season review for the West Coast Eagles. KK, I'll let you start us off on this one. And basically, I just want to start with, I don't know, your general vibe, I suppose. What what do we make of season 2020? We're looking back at it now. It's only just finished. It's all a bit raw. But, you know, a few weeks from now, maybe a few months from now, what are we going to take away from this season when we look back on the year that was? I think ultimately it's been disappointing. The, The hardest seasons are always the ones where you start with high expectations, especially when 2018 is so fresh in the memory, which is pretty much the perfect season. Start with low expectations and win a premiership. You're really only going downhill from there. And with the work we did in the off-season on the Kelly trade, we had huge hopes going into this year, and ultimately we've been bundled out, and there's six teams still fighting, win on amongst them. And we really, we're in the premiership window now. You've got to take your chances and not, not throw them away. We'll in a disjointed season, we were pretty well um, looked after with, with the fixture at certain times. So we, we had to hub 
twice, but we also had a big bunch of home games. I'd say we were probably better than average across the league in terms of how the fixtures fell for us. And, yeah, we just didn't, didn't take that opportunity. It was good to get games into some of our youngsters. We used a heap of players on the list this year. Only a few of them really stood out. And then you know, disappointments like, um, say, Watson getting injured. Uh, Jones looked good for a sort of rookie selection, and then he got injured. And probably one other sort of takeaway from late in the season is the, the St Kilda game. That was a highlight in terms of our home and away wins in, in recent years. And it was it showed that the heart is still there. Anyone who kind of questions that doesn't really know what what they're talking about. But ultimately, heart's not enough. You've you've got to have the performance to go along with it, and just wasn't there often enough. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's such a mixed bag because you you finished off there talking about that Saints game, and I had a note here about it as well. And I'd also include the Geelong game earlier on in the season at Optus, where there's so much promise on this list and so much talent on this list. When it clicks, and we we always know that's all it's ever taken is it just needs to click. And the Eagles can play some really great footy or some backs against the wall footy. There's some people that have got it in their head that we don't deliver in certain games or in big moments, whatever, whatever. It's crap. We do. We've got so many on file of times we've stepped up when we needed to. Obviously, you remember the frustrating ones more than the more than the really good ones. But time and time again, the Eagles do stand up. If anything, KK, what did us over this season was the one and three start. You know, you drop bad games to the Suns and the Lions and Port, obviously they're very good teams, the Lions and Port are, but the Suns game, you're going to re- like absolutely rue that one all year. So you start one and three and you rattle off an eight-game win streak, you're suddenly sitting at nine and three. That looks great on paper, but you've been playing catch-up since day one. So for me, I'm not so concerned about who are the Eagles with our backs against the wall. It, it's more when we open ourselves up to getting jumped, you know, coming into a game a little bit lackadaisical or, or you know, just not being prepared, not being switched on. We saw the Eagles, as they've done under Adam Simpson, play a great quarter or a great half, but never really a great game. And it's such a mixed bag this season because there was so much good stuff. Great long winning streak, awesome, you know, getting some home games, awesome crowd atmosphere and some players getting all Australian, just plenty of highlights. Ultimately, though, we walk away with not too much to show for it and and sort of feels like a bit of a year wasted. Absolutely, yeah. Opportunity wasted if you're going to um, have a two two word summary of the season. Very nice. And succinct, I like yeah, it. Yeah, and you don't. Yeah, and it's a tough league. the The league is designed to, for equalisation. When it's your turn, you've got to make the most of those opportunities, or you'll you'll suffer. The other thing for me is like if we had to finish top four, which we could have, because you make your own luck. I acknowledge you make your own luck, but. Another result, you know, one result in another game or or that Dogs game obviously was a disappointing loss, two-point loss there. That could have been anything. If we scrape top four somehow with, with, you know, Geelong beating Richmond that time or Geelong not having a huge comeback against the Dogs that time or just different results, one, one little thing here or there, we sneak into the top four. Well, for a start, we'd still be in finals no matter what happened on our, our first week of finals. If we were top four, we'd still be playing, number one. But, you know, number two, you open yourself up to that thing of, oh, do you, do you click? Does everything click like it did in 2018? You get a good finals run sort of out of nowhere. Or, or is it that thing where we go out in straight sets and we're feeling even worse than we're feeling right now? It's, it's really hard to get a gauge on where we sit in relation to the top four, you know, going forward. Are, are they going to improve and we're going to fall off a cliff? Or are we just not consistent enough? What needs to change? It, it's just such a difficult season to put a, you know, to, to put a title on because... We've wasted it. Obviously, we have, but I can't get away from the fact that there was plenty in there to like. So 
a bit of a frustrating one. Uh, ultimately, KK, look, as I said, the season's done. We all know it's done. So let's go full reflective and we'll start with some positives. Was there a player in particular that stood out? If you had to crown the Eagles best and fairest or you had to you know, give out the KK medal for the best player of season 2020, who would you be giving it to? Which Eagle impressed you the most this year? I love Liam Ryan's season. I love the way he's, he's grown as a, as a player in the last few years and added so many more facets to his game than what we saw when he first started and just having regular key influences on the game. And he's just so much fun to watch. I mean, in such a a crappy year where footy's been a bit of an escape from everything else. Um, people like Liam Ryan are the sort of guys that you make you want to watch watch football and really pleased for him. Um, he may well go very close to winning our, our BNF. He's got his first All-Australian Guernsey this year. And he's, I'm not sure how, what age he is now, but he's still got uh, many years ahead of him, really should just be coming into his prime. And if he keeps improving the way he has over the last few years, then there's no reason to think that he won't because he's... Um, He's obviously just working so hard to make the most of his talents and and doing everything he can to make him the best player and do what he can for the team. So he deserves all the boards he's got. And I loved watching him this season. You won't get any complaints from me on that one. And I think I'll uh, I'll be talking about Liam Ryan a little bit later on. Player of the season for me was Nick Nat. Nick Nat Nui, we've long talked about how influential he is. And there's always been this divide or this discourse around him online about you know, Eagles fans overrate him or opposition fans just don't quite understand it. But I just can't fathom how people still don't get what Nick Natanui is. He finished seventh in the coaches' votes. He was eighth in the AFL, players' MVP. His peers rate him. The coaches rate him. Obviously, the media love him, but that's where I understand that fans get a bit frustrated about, you know, maybe a bit of a media loving. But you just have to look at this guy's body of work this year. All-Australian again. Thank God he finally got another one. Clearances, five and a half clearances a game, you know, over that. He's playing 75, 80% of games now. Obviously, the shortened format helped him out, but this is a guy that people are so desperate to say he only took 11 marks. Who who cares? Who cares how many marks he took? Because he has been single-handedly winning us games for years, and he kept putting us in position time and time again to win games. He's a joy to watch. He's a highlight reel. Obviously, he is. But the actual body of work, the substance behind all of the, you know, all of the fancy stuff that he does, the big hangers and all of this business, the actual substance of his work is so impressive. He's a great guy. It's impossible not to like him. Well, I think it is anyway. Some other fans might uh, might disagree with that. But yeah, KK, for me, player of the season, Nick Natanui, and, and so fantastic to see him get a reward of an All-Australian. I'm desperate for him to get that flag. He just needs a flag to round out the trophy cabinet for him because he has had such a fantastic career and, and he really capped it off with a nice year this year. Uh, let's keep it positive, I say. Let's keep it positive. We'll go through a few positives uh, that we each had for the season and KK, you can lead the way on this one. Yeah, nice segue because my first positive was Nick Natanui. Yes. Um, coming, off, coming off two knee reconstructions, uh, we worried if we'd ever see him um, back to his best and he put together probably um, the, the best season he's had really. As you say, he was so influential in our games playing more game time than he ever had in the past. He got a he's deserved all Australian Guernsey. He had some huge wins over Grundy and, and Gorn and the other challenges to to his crown. And yeah, and just got through a full season without without being injured. And uh, that would have been uh, quite a, a concern for him going into the season, whether his body would stand up. And thankfully it has. And I'm happy for him because, as you say, he's, he's one of the nicest guys in football. If anyone 
doesn't like Nat Nui as a person, then yeah, I've got to put some question marks about them, even if you think he's overrated as a player, which he isn't. Can I just say very quickly, you pointed out the Grundy matchup there. He had some big wins against Gorn and Goldstein and, and whoever else they threw their way. But uh, yeah, the Grundy matchup, Collingwood benched Grundy in that game. It was an elimination final, and this is a guy that's made All-Australian twice in a row. They were benching him because they knew they were going to lose the Nick Nat v. Grundy minutes, so they'd rather just completely lose them and then try and capitalise on the Grundy v. Allen minutes later on. He was starting quarters on the bench. The fi- It was a one-point game with a minute 30 left in somebody's season, and Grundy wasn't in the middle. They had Nick Nat tapping against, I think it's Cameron or whoever their backup Ruckman was. Like He's just been giving... Opposition star Ruckman a bath all year. Great man, great player, great call, KK. Because, uh, yeah, Nick Nat's season, fantastic. And I'll tell you what, it dovetails into mine. My first positive was your player of the season, Liam Ryan. How good is this? We, we drafted a highlight reel. We drafted a guy who, you know, maybe there were questions about whether he'd work at the AFL level. And obviously he's a great mark, but what can he actually give you with his forward craft? Liam Ryan is just a gun, All-Australian. He's one of the hardest-working guys at the club. He's turned into a gut-runner over the last few seasons. And we talked about it so many times uh, on, the, on the commentaries and throughout the season on the pod. You can just stick him in the square and say, you're our main forward. You, you're our lead-up forward. And who's going to match up with him? You can't put a tall on him. You can't put a small on him because he'll jump over them. I'm just in awe of this guy and the fact that there were question marks around where we took him, how early we took him, if we needed him, what he'd develop into. I don't think anybody is complaining about what Liam Ryan is uh, after the 2020 season. Another positive from yourself, KK? Yeah, probably uh, go to the other end of the spectrum and a guy that doesn't get the plaudits in Brad Shepard had another fantastic season and finally got the All-Australian Guernsey that I think Eagles fans have felt he deserved for a long time. Um, But that secret's sort of been kept from the rest of the league and just a real um, footballer's footballer just goes out there, does all the 1% stuff, plays his opponent and beats them pretty much every week. Um, did a great job on Dugowie on the weekend in ultimately a losing effort. And yeah, it's really pleased for, for guys that are the unsung heroes to get some recognition now and again. And like you said about Nick Natanui, he just needs a premiership to, to fill that trophy cabinet and hope we can get, give it to him over the next uh, couple of years. Well, I'll keep it in that portion of the field as well. And another thing I liked out of the 2020 season was the emergence of this trio, Duggan, Cole and Nelson. Now, now Liam Duggan had a great 2018 and, and a pretty good 2019 as well. We saw more of him in the past than we'd seen from Nelson and Cole. But Jackson Nelson, somebody a lot of Eagles fans had written off. Tom Cole had a very, very down year last year after a nice 2018 for himself. This year, they all just clicked. I don't know if it was the absence of Jeddah or the change in format or the fact that some of them got more opportunity up the ground. You know, Cole on a wing, Nelson on a wing. We saw Duggan into the middle a bit. I can't pinpoint why, but it absolutely worked. They all got involved in a nice way. Jackson Nelson's disposal is terrific, and I will not hear otherwise. I think people are still clinging on to some outdated view of a very, very young Jackson Nelson. He doesn't get caught holding the ball every game, like what people used to claim about Chris Marston or or Jackson Nelson or whoever else. He's been stuck with this whipping boy label, but he is an absolute jet to have down there because you can just set him on somebody and he'll do his job. He and Cole pushing up to the wing. Duggan is still the best of the trio as well and, and fantastic in the final. Really, really happy to get something out of that group. And they're all in a nice age bracket as well. I think this could be a good trio to have and, and real foundation, along with Shep, along with Gov, Barras, whoever. These three should be mainstays in our back line now going forward. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with all of that. 
the way they they've grown into be that that next generation of of leaders, particularly Duggan, is is, is important. That's the, what you sort of build the club around. And you look at some of the guys that we spoke about earlier of Hearn and Kennedy getting near the end of the career. We need we need that next the next few guys to to stand up, and they, they really did that throughout the season. Um, and also showed in, in Duggan's and Cole's cases that that ability to, to push further up the ground and, and be damaging there as well. So, yeah, good luck to all three of them. They, they've, they've really grown throughout this year. I'll take it off field for our my third positive for the season. Our fans, absolutely fantastic. Um, in a season where footy's been probably not number one thing on anyone's mind, much reduced number of home games and much reduced crowds is that what we've had in the past. And we had a record membership, 100,000 members, biggest club in the AFL. Absolutely amazing stuff, and everyone deserves a pat on the back for the people who got along to games. God, not one of them, obviously, but uh, being able to, to watch the games on TV, like it sounded a lot more than the, the crowd caps that we had there. So fantastic at the game and just fantastic um, financial support to the club. The AFL as an industry is going to be hurting like any other industry is. Um, but but we're really providing that that structure for the club to be powerful in the long term and, and to give us more opportunities to win premierships, which is ultimately what we're all here for. Yeah, you look at the membership ladder, and and this was obviously a story when they announced it about a month ago or so. But you kind of it's not ever top of mind. You're more worried about the premiership ladder than the membership ladder. So I'm, I've brought it up here just to have a look at it. The Eagles have nearly 101,000. Richmond, of course, have 100,000 as well, which they won't shut up about. Third place is Collingwood, and they're all the way down at 76,000. There is a massive gulf between the Eagles and Richmond and the rest of the competition. You know, the Hawks still have heaps. How many of those are people? How many of those are pets remains to be seen. But then there's Carlton, Essendon. It's a lot of these old Victorian clubs that dominate the rankings. But the Eagles just sitting above all of them and and doing it in style by, by some margin against a lot of them. So, yeah, fantastic to see. Obviously, we had a few home games compared to other clubs, but... We didn't have as many home games as we thought we would coming in. You know, that's the, the the membership that you buy. You're expecting to get 11. So fantastic support and for everybody to get around the club. Yeah, agree with that one. Uh, one last positive from me, KK, on the season, and that's Jake Waterman. Last couple of seasons, I don't really think I knew what he was. You know, is, is he a third tall? Oscar Allen's probably a little bit more polished, a little bit more exciting as a forward option. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, that Jake Waterman's nothing. And this year, KK, 2020 became the year that Jake Waterman, when healthy, just dominated the half-forward flank, moved up to a wing a fair bit as well. He was running all around. He's playing almost a, a Crips role, link-up, really important stuff. Undervalued stuff, I think, as well. And, and you only have to look at his final. He had 11 kicks, no handballs, and he had 10 marks. He's had more than 10 marks uh, twice this season in his 10 games. So he, he's just so crucial to what the Eagles do, moving the ball and playing that link-up role. I think he has just locked in a spot in our best 22 for years to come, which coming into the season, that was never something that I would have predicted. Of, of the Allen, Waterman, Brander trio, they've all sort of been linked for a while. I was convinced he was probably third in line out of all of them. And now I think he's the one that I feel safest about week in, week out. I know what his role is. It doesn't have to be the sexiest role in football, but it's very, very efficient. Yeah, he's got to sort that haircut out, though. Um, <laughs> lose yeah, a, no doubt. Lose the sideburns, mate. That is absolute disgraceful what you've got going on there. But if that's the worst thing that um, people can criticise you for, then you're doing pretty well. And good luck to Jake. Uh, I've loved his effort and endeavour. And as I say, he's a vital cog in the team that can play a variety of roles and do them all pretty well. Now, unfortunately, as we touched on, disappointing season for a number of reasons, and I think it is time 
for us to dive into those reasons. So KK, lead us off. What were some of your biggest negatives from the season 2020? I think going back a few months, the whole attitude to the first into the hub was pretty disgraceful. Um, when you compare how other clubs handled it, we just didn't come to the party. We, we looked like we treated it like pre-season. And for a club that really should pride itself on um, maturity and professionalism uh, from the top to the bottom of the club, we just didn't deliver at all. And ultimately, that we paid for that at the end of the season. Um, you can kind of forgive losing to Brisbane and Port, given they ended up the top two teams on the ladder. But getting flogged by Gold Coast, who I think probably only won two or three games for the remainder of the season after that, there's, there's top four. And it's purely on our attitude. We're a bit unlucky being the first team, one of the first teams into the hub and not knowing what to expect. But all the other clubs in the same boat just handled it a million times better than we did. And, yeah, I think there'd be a lot of uh, people who'd want to handle things a little differently if they had their time again. Yeah, very fair comment. And, of course, those games did come back to bite us. You touched on it there, Port and Brisbane, fair enough. You'd like to win one of those two, perhaps, but there's no real shame in losing to the top two teams. The Gold Coast game absolutely stung, and it, it sort of set the tone for what was a dreadful restart to the season after that break there. For my first negative... It's hard to pin down specifically, so I'll just broadly say the forward line dynamic did not work whatsoever. Uh, You look and say, we've got Liam Ryan. He's an All-Australian. Josh Kennedy, you know, he he didn't even actually make the squad in the end, but he certainly wouldn't have been far off. There was actually a time in the season where we thought he was a Coleman chance, so he certainly kept the scoreboard ticking over. Jack Darling featuring in the top 10 or 15 or so of the Coleman as well. He kicked some goals, but never really at the same time. There was never really a game where... All of them fired at the same time. Kennedy might have had a big game while the other ones were quiet or or Jack Darling would go three weeks without kicking much and then he'd have a nice game himself. Then you look at the guys like Archie or Petricelli or, I mean, Ainsworth a little bit in there, whoever you want to call in there. We had that rotating cast. Cameron had a down year. Jones looked exciting, but then he got hurt. Cripps was really underwhelming before he came back. And, and you know, it just... It never really worked on paper, which is going to be a, a theme throughout this section, I'm sure. But on paper, the forward line should have a have a good mix. The dynamic looks like it should work. In reality, it looks like we're one creative forward short because Archie's just in and out of games. You've got guys like Ainsworth that if you get anything from them as a forward, that's just you know found money. You not you can't bank on that. Petricelli's still in the stage where he's a better athlete than he is a footballer. I'm just not quite sure what the 2021 forward line looks like because if it looks identical to this year, I just don't really predict great things from it. We'll need to find another way to win. We won't be able to just straight outscore teams. We need another dynamic forward in there for me. Yeah, it's almost like we're missing Willy Rioli. Um, yeah, funny that. <laughs> I had a dollar for every time during the season. I thought, oh man, if only we had Rioli watching us struggle to pick up a football at night in Queensland and thinking, yeah, perfectly made for that, for that situation. But so it is. Yeah, I think my next negative, I'm going to bring it back a line and say, like, uh, the midfield depth, we have real question marks around that. If you look at, I guess, at an age sort of level, like below Sheed, that the, the next generation below there, Xavier O'Neill, I like, I really like the look of him in the, the bits we saw of him. But outside of that, Ainsworth, Showed some promise as a tagger, but you're not really going to see him develop into a, a solid midfielder on his current trajectory. Uh, Rioli um, was a pinch hitter in the midfield. Venables, n- not sure where he's going to be at health-wise and if his if he gets fit, is his future going to be on that half-forward line or is he going to be part of our midfield 
rotation. And then beyond that, you've got the guys that are only um, like last year's draftees. And that's, so there's, there's a real gap there. And um, it gets exposed if we have a couple of couple of injuries, as like we did with Yo and Shuey at various times, um, and Hutchings being unavailable and also sort of near the end of, end of his career. We're pretty light on, and I, I don't have that much faith in the next guys coming through from what I've seen. I'm really hoping someone puts their hand up, has a huge off-season. Um, maybe Mitch O'Neill gets a, gets a run at it and is, the, is that, that X factor that we need. Um, otherwise, we, we could be in for a bit of pain over the next few years as as Shuey and Red and those older guys kind of taper off and, and move on. Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned Sheed there because my, my next negative was very similar to this one. So it's sort of a, a very similar point, not midfield specific, but just across the, across the field. You touched on Sheed and at the end of the 2018 season, he was 23. And, you, you know, he obviously had a very nice 2019 as well. Uh, not an orphan in that he was a bit quiet this year. But the point was, you were coming out of that season going, we've just won a flag and here's a pretty young midfielder that we can start to rely on. He should start to develop. What do you look at now from our 23 and unders? You know, who, who in our squad under 23 do you really get super, super excited about? I think Oscar Allen is still one. I don't have everybody's age in front of me. So there might be a very obvious one that I'm missing. But... The point is, I don't feel like, where is that next generation coming through? You touched on all the names there. I liked O'Neill, but is he getting consistent games in a healthy Eagles team next year? I wouldn't have thought so. You know, Ainsworth is definitely one that's up for debate. Foley looked like a deer in headlights in his game. We touched on Edwards earlier. You know, I, I like him. Conceptually, I think it could work, but we only saw a quarter from him. So if you're not going to win the flag, you should develop. And I don't know that we got too much development into too many players this year. I'd really like to see more from Bailey Williams. Maybe a switch back to a longer format footy game would suit him. You might see teams going with the full two-ruck strategy. But, you know, he's not getting in our forward line, so we need him to be playing as a ruckman. There's just a wasted year. I know it's a hard balance to strike when you're trying to be super competitive, but from a development standpoint, I don't really know what 2020 gave us. No, and um, I'll go on to, to my next negative because it's, it's youth-focused. and I don't want to pick on one player who's a bit of a whipping boy, but... Uh, we still have no idea what to do with, with Jared Brander. And, and this guy was a first-round draft pick, um, drafted as a forward. He spent time as a key forward and a key defender in the waffle, then gets in the AFL and we're playing him off a wing. And, yeah, we sort of experimented with that for a year and we know we have no knowledge really now than what we did at the start of the year, apart from the fact that um, I think there are some lingering question marks about his physicality and what he needs to sort out. I sat here probably 12 months ago and we did the podcast after the Tim, or talking about the Tim Kelly trade before it happened. And I said, Brandon might be, if it took Brandon to get the deal over the line, if Geelong wanted him, then I wouldn't want to lose him, but I'd be happy with that deal. And and 12 months down the track, I'm actually sort of thinking that's quite an attractive offer. And we'd still have a, some draft picks going into this season as well. So it's it's not it's absolutely not all Jared Brander's fault. I think he's been mismanaged by the club, but um, we need to work out what we're going to do with that, or just or just cut our losses and, and move on and and say Waterman is going to be that tall winger utility kind of role going forward, and maybe Allen, and then you you have Williams in there as as the backup ruck. Just going to quickly race through the list here of players 22 years old and under for the Eagles because um, you know I've, I've brought it up and and it's you know it's not a hard and fast cut off line by any point, but 
just for argument's sake, you go through it, you go, okay, well, Hamish Brayshaw, I don't know what he is. He only played a game. I'm, I've got no idea what he could be or, or if he'll ever be anything. Not trying to be unnecessarily harsh, but we, we just don't know. We don't know what Brayshaw is. Rotham, love him. Tick. Waterman, tick. Right? Jermaine Jones, really like Jermaine Jones conceptually, but obviously he got hurt. We'll, we'll see what happens there. I'd like him to stick around. Dan Venables, might not play again. Ainsworth, we could do a whole podcast on Braden Ainsworth. Brandy, you touched on. Alan, we love. You know, a bit of a mixed year, but Alan, we still like. So there's some guys in that 22-year-old bracket. Then you look at Petricelli, big question marks there. Foley, I'm not sure. Williams, we just haven't seen enough of. Jared Cameron came back down to earth in a big way this year. Callum Jamison, we haven't seen. Xavier O'Neill, I like conceptually, but how close is he to the actual best 22? Harry Edwards, Nick Reed. Mitch O'Neill, Ben Johnson. It's a pretty thin list when you're looking at the real super, super young guns. So, uh, yeah, definitely echo your sentiments there on that one, and that's one to watch going forward. Uh, One last negative from me, and I think we'll have a a bit of a chat on this one as well because it was the prevailing theme throughout the season. The midfield on paper looks amazing. The dynamic did not work. We've got Tim Kelly added into the Shuey and Yo and Gaff and Sheed, Redden, all these sorts of guys. You've got Nick Nat feeding them. I'll exclude Nick Nat from this conversation because he did everything in his power. But uh, the midfield dynamic, it just didn't work. That that defensive winger didn't quite click. We wasted Redden for large stretches of the year. We never really had a game that I can recall where they all went off at the same time. You know, every player had their moments, but rarely together. And it, the dynamic just, it didn't gel. Whether that's more training time, whether that's more familiarity, whether it's a game plan fix, I'm not sure. But KK, yeah, the midfield 2020 just did not work. Absolutely. It was a real lack of cohesion. We uh, we finished percentage off top four and we had the All-Australian Ruckman and we had no none of our inside mids made the All-Australian squad or really even got close to it, despite, as you say, on paper being a fantastic midfield. So there's really there's something missing there. Um, it, it's probably a difficult difficult season for Kelly to be integrated in, into a new club like the, the pre-season and the, the – the training restrictions were tough for the coaches and the players to be able to to get any form of cohesion going. So one of the great ironies of the, the season is that it really turned around for us when Chewy got injured, that game, that game against Sydney. We started that game looking like the three previous ones where the midfield had no clue what they were doing and take a really fantastic player out of it and it all seemed to click for, for four quarters. So it's absolutely there, I and mean, we just need to find the key to unlock it, which is a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it was, it was a big, big, big miss in 2020 for sure. Now, one of the last things we'll touch on is basically if you were in complete control, you, you run the show, and you can just snap your fingers and change one thing. You know for certain, yep, I can choose what we change, and what, you know, what, what would you change going forward? For me, I will keep it with that midfield dynamic because on paper it's just too good to flounder as much as it did. Whether we take away the defensive winger role going forward, whether that's just something we change. Obviously, it's worked in the past, but maybe it's time has come. Whether we you know, revamp the way the midfield looks, if it's rotational-based, if it's personnel-based, I'm not sure what it is, but if I could just snap my fingers and, and fix something in 2021, it would definitely be the mids. KK, for yourself, if you had complete control over everything, what do the Eagles do better next year? Yeah, I want to keep it, uh, keep it simple and just um, get physical. Like Three things, learn how to tackle, Shepherd more, win ground balls that we just get killed at. It really got exposed playing in those um, Queensland nighttime conditions where the ball spends a lot more time on the ground. And we just weren't at it. The, the, the tackling is much for my own sanity as anything because it just <laughs> yeah, isn't it? does my head in every week that we have 
great situations where we should be able to force a turnover or at least a ball up and we just miss the tackle. You, you watch someone like Charlie Cameron, Jared Cameron too, he's probably our best tackler pound for pound because they come from rugby league backgrounds where if you don't tackling is 50% of the game. If you don't make the tackle, you get punished and we just don't have that attitude. And with Nat Nui there, every stoppage we can force through a tackle as opposed to the ball spilling free is a win for us because that's our style of game. Um, that loose ball, ball on the ground, that's more, we don't deal with that. We're not great transitioning defensively. So the, the more we can slow the game down and the more we can lock the ball in, yeah, we need to be doing it. And, yeah, that seems to me an easier one to fix than try and get the midfield dynamic working better. There's assistant coaches paid way more than I am that can deal with that that sort of stuff. Lastly, KK, before we wrap up on the season review, as we've touched on, it's been a tough one because there's been a lot of good. There's been plenty of frustrating moments as well. If you had to just simply put a grade on it, anywhere on the on the A to F scale, I suppose, what grade would you give season 2020? I'll, I'll do a fence-sitting C. Uh, maybe a maybe a C plus, uh, just yeah, just because of um, certain plays that were real highlight. So we've spoken about Natanui, Ryan, Gaff, Shepard, Duggan in particular. I think those guys were gave me um, a lot of pleasure watching them during the season. But I can't go higher than that because with the the squad we had and the way things broke for us with the the, the run of home fixtures, we we really just had the chance to do something more special than what we did and just didn't happen. Very similar thoughts. And I'm sure this is uh, on, on board or, or online with uh, what every other Eagles fan out there is thinking. I got it as a B minus. You had it as a C plus. I'm, I don't even know if those are the same grade. I don't, I don't know what the A to F system even is. It's more of an American thing, but uh, ultimately, yeah, I'll say B minus, I suppose. Same as you. Look, we won all of our home games in the regular season. That's great. We had some really statement wins in there. We had players in the All-Australian team. But equally, we didn't make, we didn't make top four with all of that. You offer that to me and tell me we're not making top four? I don't believe it. You know, we didn't make top four. We wasted some games. The Richmond one was frustrating, but more importantly for me, I think the Dogs game, the Suns game, we lost a final. But if you can't win the elimination final, you know, you're probably not good enough to then go on and run the gauntlet anyway. So... I kind of feel like, well, we wasted a chance, but did we really waste a chance? Were we ever really in with a shout, given if that's what we're going to show up, you know, show up like on elimination final? Just a real confusing year for me. Plenty of good to take away from it. And long term, I think I'll remember the good stuff very fondly. But as of right now, yeah, still still stings a little bit and uh, definitely a wasted opportunity for the Eagles. Guys, that will do it from us this week and indeed for the season. As I touched on, we will do a few more pods uh, sporadically throughout the off-season. You know, things like draft previews and and recaps, free agency, trade period, AFLW news, all of that sort of stuff. But that'll be a little bit more as and when it's necessary as big news items break. So in terms of the weekly podcast, this will mark the end of it for the season. Thank you very much for listening and for joining in on social media, joining us for the commentaries, getting behind it. Really nice reviews and and comments all throughout the season. Really makes it easier to get these ones organized, get them up there as well. So it's fantastic to have had everybody on board for the season. And KK, for yourself, a lot of heavy lifting from you this season as well in 2020. Really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. No worries. And and thanks for everything. Thanks to the pod and and the country. Um, I've enjoyed doing it and hopefully we can... Uh, do more of it next season. Absolutely. 
on to bigger and brighter things in 2021 for us, hopefully, for the Eagles, certainly. And guys, yeah, look, as always, if you've got a mate that's feeling a bit down in the dumps or they want to still have one last bit of Eagles content, the Kane Corns and Matthew Lloyd reviews aren't doing it for them, which I can't imagine how that's possible, such such insight. But yeah, you know, if you're ever happy to just handball the pot over to a friend or, or share it out to whoever you like, any Eagles fans in your family, anything like that, we're always available, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if you leave reviews or, or comments, anything like that. It all gets read, it's all appreciated, and we really do appreciate you guys joining in on the pod and as part of the community for the podcast. So thank you very much for your time in 2020. We'll leave it there for now. We'll be back at some stage in the near future to discuss list turnover and draft, all of that good stuff. But for now, guys, Honey Badger 35 signing off and Mr. KK signing off alongside myself. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you in the near future. Bye now. Bye now.